All right, well, hey, it's good to be here this morning as we wrap up our third and final message in our Servant Leadership Series. And man, what a series this has been. But before we get started, can I just be honest with you guys for a moment? Can we just be real together uh, for just a moment? Uh, You know, I'm a new father of two. I've got a three-year-old and a soon-to-be four-month-old. And, uh, you know, I love my kids. I love them to death. But any, any new or newer parents in here or maybe new grandparents? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, can, let me just ask this. Let me just ask. Do any of you despise washing bottles as much as I do? Anybody? Oh, so terrible. So terrible, right? So when we brought uh, my, my daughter home from the hospital, we had some friends over to the house and and of course, it was, it was great. It was, you know, very, we were tired and whatnot. But he asked, you know, uh, my buddy asked, how, so how is it? I asked, the first thing I said was, I can't wait to be done washing bottles. I can't wait to be done washing. But then I followed up with, but she's perfect. You know, she's great. She, I love her. She's great. But, you know, uh, for some of you, it might uh, have been a while before you've had to wash some bottles uh, or, or buy a package of diapers or buy a, a package, a uh, thing of formula. Uh, but for me, it's, it's a fresh wound, okay? It's, it's still fresh. Uh, and it's not my favorite thing to do. It's time-consuming. It, uh, it's costly. You know, formula is expensive now. Uh, and, and it's just not fun, especially when you can't find it anywhere and you're stressing, oh, my kid has to eat, and where am I going to find food? Anyways, just a whole, whole different story there. But man, those bottles, those clean bottles, those diapers, those things, the formula, they are worth it for the baby that needs it, right? Those babies are precious, aren't they? Uh, and I mean, there's nothing sweeter then holding your four-month-old daughter and thinking that you're making her smile, but realizing that that's just the face she makes when she's pooping, right? That's just it. That's just it, right? Babies, I mean, honestly, though, they, they are perfect. I mean, think of what it's like to be a baby for a moment, okay? Just, just go with me here. They have everything handed to them, don't they? They have everything just handed right to them. When they get hungry, we instantly have a bottle there shoved in their mouth. It's at the perfect temperature, right? It's, it's not shaken. We mix it nowadays with a spoon or a little whisk to make sure there's no air bubbles in it because we don't want to upset their stomach, right? We don't want to do that. Or, or think about, uh, you know, when they, when they have a dirty diaper. What do we do? We change it immediately, and uh, we make a game out of how stinky it is, don't we? Oh, you stink so much. It's so cute, right? No. And we don't think twice about how they just ruined their outfit with it, right? And we might have, might have so many things to do, you know, during the day, but man, as soon as that baby starts crying and she's ready for a nap, uh, we will drop everything just to hold that baby, just to cuddle them and, and try to rock them to, to sleep while they kick and scream and, and claw at you and fight sleep in every single way, right? Uh, you know, we also get to enjoy the way they smell. Anybody like the way a baby smells? Yeah, okay. If you haven't noticed the way a baby smells, I encourage you to uh, put that on your bucket list. Uh, just be careful about how you go doing that because you might end up in jail. Uh, so there's, there's your warning uh, just, just for that. But, I mean, think about it. To be the center of attention, no matter where you go, no matter who you're around, it's a pretty nice place to be, right? To have everything just handed to you is a pretty cushy place to be. I mean, think about it. A baby, we're talking 12 months or younger, just having life handed to them. 
clean bottles, clean butts and all. Just lounging around is a pretty nice place to be. In fact, oftentimes when we see a baby, you know, uh, we don't even have to see them. Uh, they could just be asleep. But we often might think to ourselves or say out loud, man, they are just living their best life. They are living the good life. Anybody? Anybody can relate to that? Yeah, you probably all said it before. And so in a way, in a way, these diapers, these bottles, this formula, it kind of represents what the world would call the good life, right? A life where you are served, where every single one of your needs are met, and you can just relax. You can just relax and live your life. I mean, it, it, goes, it goes for adults, too. If you're staying in a five-star hotel and you got a robe on, you know, that you don't have to worry about, and you got uh, um, uh, room service at, at the snap of a finger, man, that, that means that you are at the top. You are successful. You have made it, right? Or if you're a six-month-old baby who always has all eyes on them and every need met by others, it means that you are living your best life. You've made it, Right? And this kind of, of rich and lavish lifestyle where all your needs are met is what the world has always said should be the motivational driving factor in our life. But that's not what we see in John chapter 13, is it? And that's certainly not what we see in the life of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he took everything the world says is important and he flipped it upside down. He flipped the script. He said that uh, the, the, the last will be first and the first, uh, sorry, he said the first will be last and the last will be first, right? He said, if you want to become the greatest, you must become the what? The least. He said, if you, uh, if you want to go to the top, you must go to the bottom. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to follow him and trust him with our lives, he does not call us to a life of the rich and famous, does he? He doesn't call us to a life where people serve us and, and where, all of, where, where our needs are met, right? He doesn't call us to that. He's called us to a much different life. In fact, a life that is on the opposite end of that spectrum. When we choose to follow Jesus, we are called by him to a life where we take a towel and we bend a knee. And he wants this to be a place in our lives where we serve other people, where we, where we are the towel bearers and we are the foot washers. So, as I said, this is the final message of our, our, our three-week series and uh, titled Servant Leadership. Uh, and we've been going through John chapter 13, and we have been witnessing, we have been observing this most, uh, the most vivid picture of Jesus, of our Savior. And it is one of the most countercultural passages in Scripture uh, throughout the entire Bible, because in it, the highest is now serving the lowest. The creator is now serving his creation. And the one who possessed everything has now made himself nothing. And so today we're going to see what Jesus, uh, what he came to do. And that is that, that Jesus, he didn't come to just take a towel and bend a knee, but he came to carry a cross. And he's calling us to do the same. 
So as I said, we've been looking at, at John chapter 13, section by section, working our way through it. And uh, we, we've been watching Jesus in this upper room with his, uh, in an unknown house with his disciples. And it's late Thursday evening. And within 24 hours, Jesus Christ, he will be dead. He will be crucified and he will be dead. And, and, and from Luke's gospel, we know that Jesus has been spending these last few moments, uh, these last few hours with his disciples, discussing with them, uh, kind of drilling in this lesson that they should be serving the world, whether the world deserves it or not. And in the past, you know, Jesus, he might have addressed this with a little parable, or he might have taken some extra time to even uh, formalize that a little bit in, into a sermon. But here in this instance, that's not how Jesus chooses to address the topic. The time for the sermon and the parable, it's over with, right? There's only hours left. And so during this time, Jesus, the one who had the world at his footstool, he stooped down, he took a towel, and he washed the nasty, dirty, disgusting feet of the world. And it violates every single one of the world's system. No, every single tenet of the world's system. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 13, verse 21. And last week, uh, while you guys turn there, we'll, we'll go on a little bit. But last week we read that when it was all over, when Jesus was done washing the feet, he asked the disciples if they really, truly understood what he had done. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus, he has, he has come and he has humbled himself to the role of a servant. He has lowered himself to an unimaginable place, unimaginable place in order to serve these men. And then he tells them, now it's your turn. Now you go and do the same, right? And that brings us to our conclusion here at the end of this incredible chapter, starting with verse 21. John writes this. He says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you going, what you are going to do? Do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. It was night. It was night. It might kind of seem odd that, that, that John ended this section of scripture with, with those three words. It was night. But there is some significance here. I mean, right, John, we eat dinner at night, right? So obviously it's night if we're eating dinner. But let's think about this just for a moment. Jesus, 
the light of the world, he has just washed the feet of the disciples, even the feet of Judas. And in less than 24 hours, he would lay down his life for them on a rugged cross. It would become the greatest act of redemption ever accomplished in the history of the world. You know, it was, it was night. It was night. It's what John meant in the first chapter of his gospel when he said this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It was night. It was the night that Jesus was talking about when he said in John chapter 9 verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. No one can work. The cross was in Jesus's crosshairs and it was coming at him fast. So let's look further down at verses 31 through 35. It reads, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, and if you have love for one another... Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so to finish up this series, I want to uh, share two final comments about servant leadership from this passage. And the first is that servant leaders will serve anyone. Servant leaders will serve anyone. Servant leaders, they don't discriminate on who they will serve, and they don't play favorites on, on who they will serve, right? When Jesus announced that, that one of them would betray him, they were all kind of taken aback. They were all kind of shocked, Right? Judas, though, he had given the devil a foothold on the door of his heart, but now he had completely opened those doors, and the devil took his sleeping bag in and made his home there, right? Judas, he did the un, un, unthinkable that night when he made the deal with the devil, and he, he made that deal with the Jewish religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus, what did he do? He went on and he washed his feet, didn't he? Peter, he, you know, he's told that he will deny Jesus uh, three, uh, three times before the rooster crows. But, uh, and that's, Peter's like, no, no I'm not going to do that. I will lay down my life for you. I will not deny you. I will not, right? He vehemently denies that, yet it still happens. And in Jesus' greatest hour of human need, his closest friend denies him, but Jesus washed his feet, Knowing all these things about each of them, Jesus still washed their feet. Jesus served them. Jesus sat at a table in an upper room having an intimate conversation with the people who would, in just a few short hours, deny him, betray him, and abandon him to an unjust arrest, trial, 
and crucifixion. Jesus knew what was coming, but yet he still washed their feet. It would be hard for us to be in a room full of people who we knew who were, you know, who, who would hurt us or who we knew might hurt us. It would be hard for us to wash their feet. It would be hard for us to serve them, especially if we possessed miracle working power, right? Can we all just agree that that would be difficult? Can, can I, a little head nod, yeah? That would be tough, wouldn't it? I mean, it's tough to be a servant leader when you feel like you're serving people who will just take advantage of you. I mean, think about this. How, how do you serve a husband who has never been thoughtful of your needs one day in his life? How do you serve a wife who never stops and says, I appreciate everything you do for this family? How do you serve a child who never stops, wraps his arms around your neck and says, thank you? How do you serve a coworker who's always talking about you behind your back or a neighbor who's always taking and never giving, right? How do you serve the addict who keeps going back to the poison that's killing them? How do you serve a father who no matter what, no matter what you do in life, always says, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. How do you serve a church member who acts superior? How do you serve when you feel underappreciated and unnoticed by the people around you? And even more so, how do you wash the feet of a bunch of filthy betrayers and traitors? You know, there was an article online recently that was entitled, Since COVID, Studies Find Depression Epidemic in Young Adults. It said that since the pandemic, people in their 30s um, or born in the last 30 years are 10 times more likely to be depressed than their grandparents. And the authors of this article, they determined the reason behind this increase in depression was a result uh, of a culture that exalts the individual. In other words, the, the things that our culture and society says, you know, uh, our, our culture and society, it kind of promotes this idea that you just need to focus on yourself, right? Focus on yourself. Keep yourself happy. Do everything for yourself, right? And the more that you do that, the more that you focus on me and me alone, the more depressed you become. So it could be that the way we, we get out of this tough times of depression and anxiety even, and a way to help us through those things is, is to serve others. But, you know, in those moments when we're serving others, uh, the focus isn't on us, right? The focus is outward. At least that's how it should be, right? And that is the example that Jesus wanted his disciples to see and us to see and follow as well selflessly serving out of love, whether they deserve it or not. So I don't know what your sad story is, right? We probably all have a sad story in here, and there's plenty of them in this room. There might be people sitting in here that have a terminal illness, and some of you might feel that you're overworked at your workplace or, or at home, right? And some of you aren't worked at all because you're out of a job. I don't know what your story is, but, but know that within 24 hours— that Jesus knew he was going to be killed, he still served. He still served. Even though he had his own problems, he still served. Servant leaders will serve anyone, even when a cross shadows their future. And that leads me to the second and final point, and that is servant leaders take love to the next level. 
You know, loving one another wasn't a new command at that time. It, it, it was as old as God's people. And God told them way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, to love their neighbors as themselves. So why does Jesus say a, a new command I give you? How, how was this new? Well, here's how. The old command, uh, it brought your neighbor up to your level, right? It brought them up equal with you. If you had food and they didn't, well, you gave them some food, right? If they needed a place to sleep, well, you would give them a place to sleep and you would let them rest there. The, the old commandment was basically treat others how you want to be treated. Treat them like you want to be treated. But the new commandment put, this, put your neighbor up higher than you. It elevated them up above you. So if your neighbor needed food, yes, give them bread, but also give them meat. If your neighbor needed a place to sleep, yes, bring them into your house, but not to sleep on your couch, but instead sleep in your bed and you sleep on the couch. Take love to the next level. This was the new commandment. Can you imagine what this church would be like if we had a culture where, where we were serving people all around us in this church and in our communities with the kind of love and genuine concern that Jesus calls us to? What if everything we did as, as a family and everything we did as a church, both big and small things, we did with the needs of others in mind? You know, Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun, she, she, uh, she's one that gave her herself, her life to serving others. She once said this, there are many people who can do big things. There are very few people who will do the small things. And, and I love the prayer that, that Blaise Pascal, uh, he wrote, and I think it would, all, it would benefit all of us if we committed it to memory. And it says, Lord, help me to do great things as if they were little, because I do them with your power. And help me to do little things as if they were great, because I do them in your name. Great things as if they were little because of his power. Little things as if they were great because of his name. When we understand God and we understand what Jesus was doing in the upper room here, we see that, that he isn't impressed with the things that the world is impressed with. Instead, God, he desires a bent knee. He desires a bowed head. He desires the broken heart, and he desires the humbled spirit. Those that lower themselves so others can be exalted. We need leaders. We need leaders, right? We need servant leaders. Our world needs them. Your community, our community here needs them. We need them here in every area of our church. We need everyone to step up to the line and raise their hand and say, Lord, use me for your glory. Use me wherever you want me. I just want to be your vessel. Will you do that? Will you step up and pray that prayer? Let's be willing. Let's be willing to serve anyone, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they will do. Let's serve anyone and let's take love to the next level. And so in closing, maybe you're here this morning and you, you want to make a decision to, to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't, you've never done that before and you want to, you want to lay your motives aside and, 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 and fully, uh, fully put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you want to do that this morning, we want to provide this, this time of response for you to do that but first, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, partake in the Lord's Supper. 
Uh, and that's, we, we truly believe in that here at Gateway, and we, we do this each and every Sunday. And so uh, the way that that's going to look, this, these next few moments, um, you can make your way to one of these stations in the front or through the double doors in the back. You can go there on your own time, grab some emblems, take them back to your seat, and take those on your own time. And after a few moments, the band, they will lead us in a time of response uh, with another song. And so if you have a decision to make during that time, I'm going to be right up here in front. Uh, I'd love to talk with you about whatever that looks like. I'd love to, to pray with you. Uh, you know, wh- whatever it is, if you want to talk uh, about your relationship with Jesus, then I would love to do that. But, but like I said, I'm going to pray and, and we're going to go into communion uh, in a time of response. So whatever it is, uh, if the Lord is moving you to respond in some way, I encourage you to, to do that. So let's pray. We'll enter into our time of communion. Father God, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you that, that through this series, we have, we have seen, we have learned how to live more like you. And I know that's such a vague statement, but Father, remind us, remind us that you didn't come to be served. You didn't come down here to receive, to receive things, to have every need met. Instead, you humbled yourself, even humbled yourself to the cross. You took our our sin, you took our shame, you took our debt, and you canceled it. So help us, help us to live that servant life as you did. Not looking inward, not looking at ourselves, but looking at others um, to, to serve them in any way that we can. And Father, I can't help to think that uh, there's some kind of connection between uh, Romans 5, 8, where, where you tell us that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And, and while the disciples, while they would betray you, while you knew they would betray you. You still washed their feet. And while we were still sinners, you still washed our sins. So Father, I thank you for that this morning. I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your body, your mercy, everything that we have because of you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we invite all believers to um, go to the tables and observe communion.